the world of Twitter, we vanished overnight. And I thought you'd thrown a complete huff and you'd thrown out the, the podcast. You didn't like last week's episode and you were just off. That was it. Into the night. And I had no idea what was going on. Where did we go? Well, apparently it turns out we're underage as far as... <laughs> but you never thought <laughs> you'd be accused of being underage. Um, so with I'm not very good with technology. Uh, I don't mind admitting it. I'm, I'm, my phone probably does loads of stuff that I don't know that it does or it should do. The, the stuff we use to record our podcast, I just press record. That's about it. And I'm done. So <laughs> I went on our Twitter account one day and it said, why don't you add your birthday? And then everyone will know when they can celebrate with you and wish you, you know, many happy returns, whatever. I thought, that's a really good idea. Um, so I added in our birthday, which was, I can't remember, the whatever of July 2018. Yeah. So I remember it well. We're one. Big day in my life. And I thought that's great. So when people look, they'll say, oh, look, they're, you know, they're one and they're two, whatever. Um, so I did it and it was fine. And then I went to go into the account and I got this big sort of big notice saying your account, firstly, it had been blocked because I'm underage and you have to be 13. Can you imagine? Still 13 is all right to have an account on your own, but you've got to be over 13 to have a Twitter account um, unless you can prove that you're not. And then it put, but we've got loads of problems at the moment, so we can't source it out quickly. So I sent proof that I'm older than one and then it changed to your account has been suspended. And that's it. I, I, we are no further. We are what, a week on? And we're, we're still suspended. <laughs> so um, can I apologise? I was only trying to do a good thing. So Twitter thinks that there is a one-year-old who's opened an account yep. and is actively using that account <laughs> to promote a podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Got to love an algorithm, haven't you? And forming really good sentences for a one-year-old. So we are, we are underage. And we are blocked <laughs> as of now. So if people do want to get in touch with us for the foreseeable future, you can join the army of dogs that follow us on Instagram because on Instagram, we are of the right age. But we're still individually on Twitter. It's nothing to do with our own personal accounts, but, but tennis is just no more. There was no problem when I put my date of birth into my Twitter account. We definitely weren't blocked or suspended. <laughs> well, at least at least you hadn't run away from me. I did think that was a possibility. I thought, oh no, I've, I've upset you. I hadn't heard from you in a while, but that's because we're both kind of on holiday at the moment but <laughs> I didn't know what was going on I was thinking that some of our listeners might think that you just don't want to produce and post 30 tennis mugs <laughs> <laughs> well that is also true <laughs> so you'd block the account therefore no requests can come in and you don't have to send out any mugs yeah well I mean that would that would be genius that, well okay but we're, we're we're not back up and running but are you confident you can sort that out or is it just tennis no more I haven't got a clue Okay. No, I don't. I haven't got Good. a clue. Um, we are, as I say, we're officially blocked. I have, I've sent them proof that I am above the age of one and I can legally hold a Twitter account. But apparently due to the high amount of people who are underage on Twitter at the moment, it might take us some time. Right. Well, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. watch this space. <laughs> For the foreseeable future, just find Naomi and I individually. And if you want a mug, send that to Naomi. <laughs> the mugs aren't taking <laughs> off. No matter how hard you push these, <laughs> she, she. <laughs> You, you've got one, okay. You, you've achieved your goal. I think we're into double. I think we're into double figures. Now we we're currently. Um, I'm on holiday, um, in the mountains. You're on your. Can we call it a mini moon? Is that what it is? Well, or we've just gone on holiday, really, with the dog. But after your wedding, that's a that's a mini moon, isn't it? Because it's not your big one. I suppose we have. We, we we're going to do a bigger one at the end of the year, but uh, but right now we've just kind of gone away for a week to rest and recuperate. It's our first holiday of the year, so. 
I know you're on your mini moon slash holiday with Sven, who wasn't invited to the wedding, but does come to the mini moon. And I wanted to talk last week, I spoke to you and I wanted to talk about scheduling, but that might have to wait because it might sound a bit weird, but I want to talk about drugs. Can we talk about drugs? I think we definitely should. I think everybody's been waiting for this podcast. We can talk about all of our experiences with drugs. But um, yeah, but of course, this has been brought up because we were chatting earlier in the week when we saw uh, the news there was a, a player suspension um, because of doping violation, which was Beatrice had admire. And uh, I mean, we don't really know much inf- more information than that other than tested positive for something and it she's been suspended. It, it got us thinking. And I think it, it was also because the player it was, and we're talking a top 100 player, I mean, just inside at 99, but that's... Uh, some people might not think it's big news, but it is news. This is a world's top 100 player. This was a player who beat Garbina Muguruza, um, having come through qualifying at Wimbledon. She then beat Muguruza in the first round. Oh, and I know Muguruza uh, has, has had issues anyway. It wasn't um, simply as straightforward as, wow, she came from nowhere and, and beat a fantastically informed Muguruza. Then she'd lose to Harriet Dart. But it's, it's something, isn't it? She was... I think she was. She failed a test in June. She's been now provisionally suspended. But it, but again, it it brings up the conversation. And, and on one side, I mean, the first thing to say is it's good that they are getting, they are finding people. They are getting people who are testing positive, and they are suspending them. I mean, right. So initially, that's the main thing here. That the testing. Would you say the testing is working? Well, I mean, it depends on what your definition of working is. I mean, I think possibly later on I might get into the the bigger picture in terms of um, anti-doping testing and that sort of thing and that it's just always an uphill battle really isn't it I think across all sports it's um, it's pretty impossible to make sure that everybody competing is clean the whole time but I mean I can just talk about my own experiences with doping and some of them have been intense some quite ridiculous at times um and uh yeah i mean it's definitely improved because it used to be done but not particularly frequently for a sport it was quite irregular really and, and a lot of professional athletes a lot of top 20 players would go years without being te- a full year without being tested which is extraordinary to think uh, but that was quite a while ago so um things have definitely moved on there's a lot more testing now so we do have these cases creeping up and we can look at you know, somebody like Dan Evans and his comeback from his ban. That was possibly the last one I can think of. That was actually quite a, well, I mean, it was, it was significant because I, I know him, I know him well. He's a British player. He was doing really well. Um, also, it was more of a, a recreational ju- drug, but still, you know, the rules, you broke the rules, you face consequences. That's that's how it goes. We don't really know what the consequences for Haddad Mayer are right now um but I mean I first got tested uh when I was a junior and I was playing these uh some of some really strong events they're down in the south of France and basically it was yeah under 18 events the rule was if you reach the semi-final you got tested so I don't know why there was that rule. It seemed a little bit silly uh, because you shouldn't really know when you're about to get tested or not. That's That <laughs> poses lots of problems. <laughs> Again, this is a, a good while ago. So I think that this has since changed. So, But I made the final of each tournament. So I got tested every week. So I got tested three weeks in a row. And it was always the same people. It was the French Federation or the, the French Anti-Doping Association or, or whatever it's called. There's, you know, you have a World Anti-Doping Association, which is WADA, and you also have national ones. You also have governing body ones. You have so many different testing um, 
organizations that can come and test you whenever they want essentially uh, and this was a french anti-doping association that was that was coming to these tournaments so i got i got tested these three weeks in a row and it's this really odd situation where i mean i mean the long and short of it is you need to pee in a pot basically is the main bit and that's quite tough to do in front of somebody because they have to watch it kind of go into the pot and they have to watch where it's come from and where it goes. Because hang, hang, on, wait, wait, hang, hang on a second. So, so, so just let me, I knew they were present. I'm not sure I, I ever realised how present. But when you say they need to see where it comes from, what it's going into, I may have assumed that the closest they would have got is you were sat in a toilet cubicle, they had the door open, they were kind of the other side of the room. Are you telling me they are bending or squatting down to, <laughs> to get a... I, mean, I, don't, I don't actually know how to form this sentence. But are you, are you telling me they're having to get down at roughly the same level <laughs> no, no, maybe not quite that far I've never had anybody squat down to the same level <laughs> but I mean they have to watch it because you could be pouring somebody else's urine in you could be pouring apple juice in you could you could do anything you could add something to your own urine you know behind your back they have to be watching it pretty carefully now this is slightly easier for the guys now I'm not saying that it's easy it's very difficult to pee when somebody's looking right at you and right at where it's coming out of but for the girls it's slightly more challenging just to pee in a cup full stop it's just more difficult right so you you are kind of oh now we're going into some real details here but you are essentially squatting and the 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 lovely anti-doping officer she is very helpful gives you lots of advice so you have to pee a certain amount which is quite a lot it's basically a full cup and if you pee any less than that it, they basically throw it out and they say, do it again. You've got to do a full cup. So you have to wait until you really, really need to go because otherwise you've got to start all over again. Hang on. When you say she gives you really good advice, please tell me the good advice that she gives you. Oh, well, she was talking to me about my squatting position. <laughs> she really was. She really was. She said, I find that it's more helpful if you do it like this. She said, if you sit down to start with, kind of get a flow going and then move up to a squat, get the cup in the right position, <laughs> and then you should be all right. Wow. I mean, how long are you peeing for to do all that? That was, that was one of the later ones. <laughs> I know, right? You've got to pee a lot. So basically, when you finish your match, you get a tap on the shoulder before you've left the court. And somebody shows their badge. It's kind of like a policeman. They show their badge and they say, WADA you know, we're here to, to test you. And you go, okay, great. And from that moment on, you you're not allowed to leave their site. Can't go anywhere. You've got to, they've got to know exactly where you're going, who you're talking to. And actually you're kind of quite limited on really what you can't go and shower unless you're happy with them staring at you whilst you shower. Because again, you could be changing things, replacing things, taking things, who knows? So you don't shower and you've got to go sit in the room. Now the trouble is most of the time you play in a hot country and you've just been running around sweating for two, three hours. You, the last thing you need to do is pee. <laughs> Like, that is, it is the last thing you need to do. And if you do need to pee, it's normally like quite dark and you're quite dehydrated, which is no good. They'll throw it out. It's not acceptable. You have to be a certain hydrated level. But if you drink too much water and it becomes too hydrated, no good. They'll throw it out. It's too hydrated. Do they have a colour chart? 
Like some yes, varying do. shades. Yeah. Oh, wow. For like a paint yeah. chart. What colour do we need and look at? And it and do they mo- and it they put it up against it and if it's not within a certain range, you've got to do it again. Yes, exactly. Wow. Um so it gets measured kind of straight away. So you need to have the right amount. You, which has to be split into two samples, A sample and B sample. Uh, anyway, anyway, right. So you've got this person who's who's tagging along with you and then you've got to go and pee. So you're drinking kind of orange juice and coffee and anything that you think might make you pee. Uh, and then you, got it, then you say, normally you're there for, I mean, I would normally be waiting about a couple of hours, just sat in a room with this woman staring at me who sometimes doesn't speak a lot of English especially it depends where you are in the world oh so you're not chatting they don't they're, they're not there to yeah, make conversation you to make you feel at ease therefore you maybe but maybe if you feel comfortable and at ease maybe you're more likely to pee I don't know if that's a thing <laughs> I've never thought about it it's a very <laughs> uncomfortable situation from start to finish <laughs> until you are literally waving at them goodbye it's just uncomfortable so I anyway so in these French tournaments so I had the first week where it was my very first experience of doing it. It was quite intimidating. She's staring at me. I didn't know she had to stare at me. And she did not speak a huge amount of English. So I was kind of like, mm, okay, this is very odd. And I managed to get it done. And then the second week came around. It was the same woman because they tend to kind of give you the similar sort of people. Same woman came back um, after I played my semi-final in the second week. Now, we were at a tournament um, just outside Marseille and basically it had just started to be built. There was no clubhouse. It was basically a couple of porter cabins. So they were porter loos. That's what they were. Just <laughs> temporary oh, no. loos for oh, no. a building site. And I kid you not, she had to get in with me and <laughs> for me to try and be, our, I mean, our knees were touching <laughs> the, the, the entire time. And all I could think was, well, at least I got to know her last week <laughs> because this is ridiculous. And it was either that or have the door open. And what happened was we tried at first and then decided it might be better with the door open and that she would just block the door so that no one could really see me. But it was all it was just very, very strange. <laughs> Didn't know what was going on. It's so uncomfortable. And again, I, I imagine if you are feeling relaxed, you're more likely to pee. But sitting in a portaloo with some woman that you've met a week... I just Did she say congratulations? So she's she, last week you got to semi-finals. Oh, I thought you were going to say for peeing. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. Back-to-back semi-finals. She's back at another tournament. Here you are again. You can't really speak to each other in, in whatever language. Do you get a kind of congratulations from her or is she all is she all business? No, well she no, they they've they've always been incredibly friendly. There was another girl in the same situation, Tamira Pashek, because she reached I think the finals or semis of each tournament as well. And yeah, that was that was definitely the most awkward kind of logistically, how am I actually going to get the pee in the cup? Like just how is this going to happen? And short of I mean, I was never going to ask her to hold the cup, <laughs> but she wouldn't be allowed to. She's not allowed to touch it. She's not allowed to touch the cup from the very beginning to the very end. She can't. All she can do is look. She can't touch anything. So that wouldn't have been allowed. You just have to figure it out yourself. And I was like, this is not ideal. This, this sounds so weird. If someone's just switched on this pod and they fast forwarded and, and all you've said is she, she's not allowed to touch. All she can do is look. I mean, this just sounds like the most ridiculous situation. But so anyway, I mean, it really those, is. So those three weeks, I did three samples and you have to do the whole rigmarole that I'm sure people are aware of where they offer you a, they basically bring a suitcase with them. 
you have to open the suitcase, then you have to pick out a, a random bottle A, then a random bottle B. You have to unpack everything, you have to screw everything, you have to fill in all the forms. The whole process, once you've peed, takes a good 45 minutes to get through the whole process. And obviously the pee takes a while. That's the biggest problem. Because you don't want to go before you know you can fulfil the whole cup. Because otherwise, they'll say, nope, no good, do it again. And then then what? you got to wait another few hours until you need to pee. So... Yeah, so you have to go through all of that that rigmarole. And then basically they say, thank you very much. It gets sent off and you never hear anything. You never hear kind of a congratulations, your urine passed or you don't, you don't get any sort of like you're clean. It's just a, if you don't get, if you don't get essentially handed a suspension, you don't get anything. You, have ne- you never know. You, you, six months later, you're thinking, oh, I, I wonder if it was all right. I mean, well, you know, because you really haven't taken anything. It's but the old adage of no news is good news, it seems, with the drug testing. Yeah, but it's kind of a never-ending thing. And it, the, the thing is, is with, with the doping is, I, look, if, you, if you're not taking anything illegal, then obviously you don't really have any reason to be stressed. But I think people don't realise quite what is banned. And it's different in different countries as well. But I mean, in the UK, Neurofen Plus, not allowed. Um, day nurse, night nurse, not allowed. Quite standard, over-the-counter drugs that people would take all of the time. Um, yeah, just just they are not allowed. Um, they are illegal. And, you know, it's... Yeah, I don't know. That, those are the sorts of things you kind of question. Like, oh, did I, did I have night nurse or day nurse or something that I wasn't allowed that I shouldn't have and I didn't realise? Because especially when you're young, you don't know all of the rules. And I imagine that... I mean, I can't live without day nurse. When I've got a bad cold, day nurse is, is what sees me through. But luckily... It's <laughs> your uh, daily. I'm, <laughs> just wakes you up in the morning. <laughs> I'm not, luckily, I'm not competing professionally and no one's asking me to pee in a cup. But I'm thinking it must get really tricky when you go to another country and you can't speak. And, and you've talked in the past about... Um, you played in some bizarre, wonderful places, but some places where you don't know the culture or the language. And if something is wrong with you physically... It's not as simple as if something's wrong with me and I'm in wherever I'm in, I can go into a chemist, I can get a, I can translate and get Google Translate out and try and fumble my way around to getting, I don't know, flu tablets or whatever it might be. But I guess that's the hard thing. You're at a tournament in wherever and it might, I, I, and the list will change from country to country and place to place. It's not straightforward as thinking, well, I'm not taking Dana so I can take whatever equivalent. I, ma- I imagine that must be pretty tough as well yeah i mean there are plenty of stories of people who have got banned or lost medals because they took an identical um medicine with an identical brand identical packaging but there's one extra ingredient when they sell it in the states that they don't use in the uk so it's allowed in the uk but it's not allowed in the states and and all these sorts of things so it's incredibly complicated also they have to um uh, defend against masking agents. That's the biggest issue. So with Neurofen Plus, they're not, or Ibuprofen Plus or whatever, day nurse, night nurse, they're not bothered about what that does to you in terms of that is particularly performance enhancing. It's the fact that it contains a masking agent which is used to mask um, a, a lot of other very performance enhancing drugs and it's quite successful. So the fact that it's in there they just don't want people to have that in their system at all. So, you know, I mean, there are, there's a massive, massive list. But as I say, the majority of players that I know are very similar to how I was in terms of they are just incredibly vigilant. I mean, for my entire career, I basically took paracetamol. That was it. I just refused to take anything else. I mean, not all the time, but if I ever needed anything. And I think I had one course of antibiotics when I had bronchitis and that 
was it really I, I just wouldn't no matter how sick no matter how bad my cold was I wouldn't take a decongestant because the vast majority of decongestants were banned so to find one that wasn't banned and to be a hundred percent confident that it wasn't even if people tell you it's still your responsibility that was um that was always the fear and as I say most people that I know would just just wouldn't wouldn't take a lot so I imagine it at the very top and I know around the Maria Sharapova case there was um, it was said that it wasn't actually, it was it was a drug that was added to the list and she had someone in her team that would check these things and would keep an eye on those things. Because I imagine, you know, as you get to the very top, you have someone that books your courts and your flights and does your meals and, and does absolutely everything. And there is someone that maybe is in charge purely of keeping an eye on a list. So if some illness does come up, you don't take the wrong thing. But I imagine at the lower levels, and this comes back to scheduling that we will get to in, in a future pod, it's all on you. It's all on, mm. it, it, I imagine it's, imagine it's the, it's the remembering to do everything. It's, I've got to book the flight. I've got to get entry into the tournament. I've got to get myself here. I've got to get this sorted. And I've got to remember there's this. It's just another thing that you have to keep an eye on. It is, but it's not that hard because I mean, how many medicines are you taking really? You don't need to keep... Con- on top of the thousands of medicines on the list you have to keep on top of the medicines that you are taking and any future medicines that you do take that's it so I mean even if you're taking three medicines a day which is quite a lot if you're Sharapova or somebody higher up who has a doctor or even if you're not you need to access a doctor you need to figure it out and make sure that they are clean and okay substances to take and if you add in anything new you need to make sure that's okay and at the end of every year Everybody gets sent a list of the new substances. There, there aren't thousands of them. And you just got to check that they're not the ones that you're taking. That's basically it. So it's not like once you're, once you're up and running, it's fine. And as I say, I mean, how many medicines are people really taking? It's, as I say, it's more the casual stuff. Like, like your Neurofem Plus and your Day Nurse and your Night Nurse. It's more of that sort of stuff that kind of really is, is, is difficult. Um, you know, so... Uh, I don't know. Do you think, though, my question to you is, do you think you could pee with somebody staring at you? It's not easy. It's a strange one because I now have small children who have this amazing (laughs) sense. (laughs) They have an amazing sense of just walking into the bathroom. And and if it's, I don't know, if it's your other half, you can say, oh, just, you know, I'm in the bathroom, whatever. But to a couple of four-year-olds who just wander in and start saying, "Uh, mummy, what's the house made of? Uh, mummy, why do you get milk from cows? Mummy, you know, all these questions that are coming out and you're peeing or whatever. And, and then they're just fascinated because obviously women are constructed differently to men and obviously they're at the age when they're getting this. So I'm getting, can you imagine, I'm trying to pee while being asked why I'm missing things. <laughs> <laughs> and they're saying, why don't you have one? And where's it coming from? I'm thinking, oh my God. I'm thinking ah. it's six o'clock in the morning. I'm just waking up. And they're staring at me saying, well, why Why haven't you got, why you did it? So I, I guess you could say that in recent years, I've become a little bit more relaxed about it. Could I do it if there was a stranger opposite me um i don't you know i I actually don't i just because i'd probably start chatting you know me i'd probably start chatting to them and asking them loads of questions that they probably couldn't wouldn't answer or whatever so and i'd probably laugh i think that would be my reaction i'd probably which probably wouldn't help I, i i don't know i i genuinely don't know if i would be able to um, mm. be a bit weird, wouldn't it? But I think I'd just try and make the other person feel relaxed because 
Otherwise, it would just be so awkward. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've never had an issue with the person there um, because you just remind yourself it's their job. They've seen this, you know, 500 times this year. They do it every day. They do multiple people a day. Like, it's fine. But it's just it, genuinely, it's just more the logistics of doing it, getting it in in the cup I mean you inevitably completely soak your hand that's quite gross <laughs> no one ever really wants to do that it's just it's just all of it it's, it's very awkward and uncomfortable and when I had one done at uh, the French Open they obviously very different to the Portaloo in in, in Marseille <laughs> at the French Open they obviously have an entire room that is built for this it is designed for it so you have a doctor's room because they take blood as well. When you get higher up the rankings, they, they do the urine and blood at the same time. So they take your blood first as you're loading on the iced tea and whatever else you can drink just to try and uh, make yourself go to the loo. And then there's kind of, there's a, a loo around the back of the, um, the doctors. There's like a wall and you just walk around. There's no door or anything, but you walk around there and there's a wall. And the doctor stays there, but it's the anti-doping uh, lady who will follow you in. So now this is set. And I didn't realise how set up this was for um, a urine sample. In that it was all fine and it was the same thing. But she was a good few feet away from me and she was chatting. And she was, um, I think I'd, I'd seen her before actually. And she was chatting away. She's saying, "How are your mat? How was your match?" And I said, "Well, I lost, <laughs> so it wasn't great. So I was pretty <laughs> bummed. And a lot of the time." It, I, I don't know this for sure, but it felt like before that in professional tennis that, as I say, I don't know what their selection process was, but it felt like they were assigned matches and they would take the loser of each match because the winner obviously had more press things to do. They were still in the tournament, could be tested at a later date. And it was it, it felt like they had a random match. It, it just seemed like nobody who won was ever sitting there after winning a match. It was always the loser. And it, as you say... I'm just taking kind of a an educated guess as to the experience I went through. But anyway, she's sitting there having lost, feeling pretty kind of bummed. Also, there's no signal in the room at all. So you've got no chance. You just sat there pretty bored. Uh, anyway, but so I went I went to the loo around and it's quite spacious. It's nice. It's kind of long so she can stand over there and she can see. And anyway, she made uh, a comment um, and she said to me, um, and I was in the middle of squatting and it had been quite a while and she was desperately trying to relax me bless her it was, it was you know that's kind of what they normally do and she said to me oh I like your tattoo and I suddenly thought what are you talking about <laughs> so she's I do have a tattoo <laughs> so I do have one um, but it's it's kind of on the lower did I know you have one I don't know is this news maybe I don't know is this breaking news I feel I feel <laughs> I definitely. I mean, if anything has been breaking news, this is not it. This is not it. I got it when I was 18. I wish I never did. Standard story. It's great. And uh, anyway, but it's on the lower part of my back. And it's just some words. It's not really a big deal. And so she said, oh, I like your tattoo. And I thought, how can you see it? You're standing in front of me. There's no way, like, how can you see it? And I looked at her and I said, just with a kind of inquisitive look as in, what are you talking about? Bear in mind, I'm squatting, cup is underneath me. <laughs> I'm desperately trying to get something going and now I'm suddenly confronted with what is going on. And she said, oh, the mirror above you. And I was like, what? Oh. So you know how it was one of those con convex mirrors 
where you can see kind of all around. So it's it's curved. It's kind of a semicircle rounded. You put them on the end of driveways when you're trying to back out into a road you can't see. Yeah, I was going to say, you have them in driveways so you can see who's coming around the corner. Exactly. <laughs> Yes. And she basically <laughs> she basically was like, Oh, that's so that we can see everything and so that we can see from behind you as well. And I I mean honestly, it's quite I told you it's quite intense. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh my word. I just I can't I I'm just wondering when they advertise for people to to be the officers who are there, what qualities are they looking for? What's the job description? <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. What are you What are you putting out there? And then the few sentences to try and attract people. You must be, you must be what? Pa- patient. Patience is going to have to be a huge quality. I mean, sometimes it takes four, five, six hours. I think once you go past the six hour mark, they tend to say, "Okay, we're going to put this down as a fail." Oh, because if you haven't peed in six hours, then something's not right and if you have peed a couple of times and you didn't reach the amount required or it was too hydrated or whatever well that's your own fault but yeah you're only it goes down as a fail if, if you give up and you can't produce it goes down as a couldn't produce so that that is that that is pressure okay that i think adding on saying you know would you feel pressure and how would you feel i think being t- and look the chances are in six hours you're going to pee I mean, yeah, but is it hydrated enough? That's the thing, or is it too hydrated? Because if you just drank four liters of water, it would just come out. It would be too light, and then so we can't use this. So you have to sit with it. You it's know? incredible. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty. It's intense. The, the hardest thing is to make sure that you're hydrated enough, but not too much. You're talking about pressure. I'll tell you about pressure. This is my last doping story. But it is, I mean, pressure ratcheted up to the max. So this is for whereabouts. At, in um, the off-season, you have to do whereabouts. This is for WADA, World Anti-Doping Association. Um, and you have to tell them where you are for every hour of every day. Um, and you need to give them one hour uh, of a window where they can come and test you. So most people will do it early in the morning. So famously, remember, Andy Murray got tested the day he was picking up. Was it his OBE or CBE or something, something kind of big cheese? Anyway, and it's, 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 most people go for the morning because you also have to be precise. So if you say to them, oh, it's my off season, I'm going to be training at, at Boletari's. So on Saturday, the 8th of December, I'll be at Boletari's. They'll turn up there. They'll turn up to the IMG Academy and they'll go can't see you so you have to tell them like where you are obviously the address of the property where you're staying but also which room you're in because they might not be able to find you if you're in a hotel complex they can't find you they can't get hold of you they you know and again it will go down as a fail and you're allowed it's two strikes and you're out that's it you know kind of stuffed really I was really scared about this so I would always put it at 5 a.m because between five and six I was like this is the hour you can come and test me because between six and seven I'm probably in bed but you know you might get up and leave at half six to get to training or do a swim. You, you might change your plans. If you change your plans, you have to update whereabouts, but you have to, you can only change your plans before 24 hours before. So if the night before you decide I'm going to get up early and do a swim and leave at half six, but your whereabouts tells WADA that you are available between six and seven for testing and you then leave the house again, it will go down as a non-completed test. It's essentially a fail. So that's why I put mine between five and 6am because I was like, I'm never leaving the house at half five. Not a chance, right? It makes sense so far, right? Well, uh, sort of, yes. 
I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 I can see the thinking, but 5 to 6 a.m., yes, but yes, I can see why you'd say that because the chances are, you, well, you know where you're going to be 5 to 6 a.m. every morning. Yeah, no. So I, I, I'm following the logic so far. Yeah, because for two months, you have to guarantee a time where they can come and test you randomly. They might not come. They, I remember, I think it was, I can't remember which player it was, but somebody was trained. I use Boletarius as an example because I used to train there, but somebody, a British uh, officer from WADA flew out to test them in Florida. Like they will come and test you. If, you know, if your name is picked out of the hat, that's it. They're going to come and find you wherever you say that you are. So, and as I say, you aren't allowed to change it within 24 hours of that time. So it's quite tough because, as I say, one evening you might decide to change your plans tomorrow. You might be feeling particularly stiff and say, you know what, I'm not going to do upper body. I'm going to go for a bike ride instead. And then suddenly you're not where you said you were going to be. So anyway, so do it early in the morning. So in my off season, this off season, I was training at home in London. And this is when I was young. This is my very first off season. And I was 17 and I had been spending a lot of my off season learning how to drive. And it was my, it was essentially, it was the day of my driving test. And my driving test was at 9.30 a.m. that day. But it was about a 40 minute drive away because um, my instructor picked a test centre that had no roundabouts. (laughs) Good man. (laughs) He was like, we're going to drive quite a while to get to your test centre. Because all the ones around here, there's a lot of roundabouts. It's like, okay, fine. Fair. I wanted to get it done before I flew out to Australia. So I was like, okay, that, I'm happy with that. So he was going to, so I needed to leave 40 minutes before, but also he wanted to do an hour's practice before you do your test, right? So he was coming quite early. He was coming at about half seven. Did he not have a lot of faith in you if you're taking you somewhere with no roundabouts and he wanted to do an hour's work before your test? <laughs> Well, there were a few manoeuvres that we hadn't actually covered yet. I hadn't had the most amount of practice, I must say. Um, so anyway, at 5.45, get a knock on the door, my bedroom door. It's my dad saying, 5.45am, saying, there's someone here to see you. It's like, what are you talking about? It's five o'clock in the morning. Anyway, so I go to the door and as soon as you go to the door, that's it. They show their official identification and they say something like this. Morning, WADA, whereabouts? I'm Jane. <laughs> We're going to be doing a drugs test today. And you're like, great. And they're always so cheery and so happy at ridiculous hours in the morning. <laughs> you just think, what? And my dad doesn't know what's going on. This is my first kind of being a professional tennis player. You know, so anyway, so I have to invite her in. And from that moment on, I can't leave her sight. That's it. So I'm in my pyjamas. But I would say, a lot of the time, when you wake up in the morning, first thing... What what's the first thing that people do? One of the first things people do when they wake up in the morning. Yes, I know, right? Go to the loo. But I don't wake up at five o'clock in the morning. I normally wake up at eight. So, you know, it's 5.45. We're still a couple of hours away from when I would normally go to the loo. So anyway, so she comes in basically and I'm trying to say to her I'm like well I've got my driving test soon he's going to be here any minute so we make her a cup of tea she's lovely chatting I've had her before because she lives locally to me so I was always kind of on her list so having all this anyway long and short of it was I just I couldn't I couldn't go I couldn't go I don't know why and I, I tried my best and we were really rushing my driver my driving instructor turns up just before half eight and I was like right this is a situation <laughs> I've got this woman. I can't leave her sight. And he was saying, he was like, okay, that's fine. She can just jump in the back. So, so I said, I'm not sure she's allowed to do that. 
And she said, oh, we're only two hours in. We normally allow six hours per visit. So I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) So she was going to jump in my car whilst I went down to do my driving test. Can you believe it? Uh, hang on. Did she? The old Jane. Did she? Did Jane? I mean, when did, when did it all come to an end? Well, I was kind of, I could feel it kind of coming that I needed to go, but I just couldn't, I wasn't <laughs> sure that it would be enough. And I just thought, oh, I've just got to make sure this is enough because otherwise that makes me a little bit tense for the rest of my off season. And I, yeah, I essentially um, was saying to her, can we get all of the paperwork done now? Because the paperwork takes ages. There's so much stuff to sign and you've got to pick the bottles. I was like, can we pick the bottles? Can we do it all now? That all takes 45 minutes and then we'll be ready and then I'll probably be able to pee before I go and then we'll be done. And she said, no, that's not how it works. You pee first, then you do the rest. So anyway, so what I did... I negotiated with my driving instructor that we would do the test run instead of doing the test run and the practice down at the test site, which would have been much more helpful. (laughs) We did it near my house. So she sat in the back whilst I did my test run for an hour. And then by the end of that, I was like, right, I'm now desperate for the loo. trying to do it and I remember he was like oh we haven't done emergency stop yet we've got to do an emergency stop I've got Jane in the back (laughs) to do an emergency stop (laughs) and in the end I was terrified that she was going to have to come down to my actual test which would have made for a brilliant story (laughs) but uh but no uh, in the end after my practice I got out did my pee my instructor had to wait we were madly like in rush to get there on time for the actual test we got there on time for the test and I passed my test and it was all good and apparently I passed my doping test as well because I never heard anything and that was about 15 years ago (laughs) so I would have thought they would have contacted me now that is incredible let me ask you a question though you you said at the very start about um you touched on Dan Evans and his was recreational use it was cocaine as a player and I know all drugs are a bad and a banned for a reason. But as a player, if you were beaten by someone, would it make a difference if it was someone who had taken a recreational drug than a performance enhancing drug, or was it all the same? I think it makes a big difference. I mean, it happened to me um, when I played Martina Hingis at Wimbledon. So she ha- was done for cocaine and took her two-year ban, and that was off of the the doping test at Wimbledon the year that I played her. So I lost her in the first round. I had a couple of match points and I lost. And then she went on to make the fourth round. And I remember after that, people coming up to me saying kind of, oh, so so what happens to you then? As in, as if I would get something. And I was like, nothing. I mean, I didn't get anything. And it's something that actually I get quite frustrated about. I didn't even get an email or a phone call and look it was cocaine so I'm definitely less annoyed but if it was say what Sharapova was taking meldonium something that is significantly performance enhancing no matter whether it's an accident or whatever you want to look at it 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 is a very performance enhancing drug I mean I, I think I think an email is the least that you kind of deserve really as a player I mean there were three players in that tournament who had lost to a cheat essentially somebody who was breaking the rules knowingly um, so was essentially cheating. And um, as I say, because it was cocaine, I was never going to take that any further. But if I was one of those players that had lost to Sharapova, there were four players that lost to her in Australian Open. 
there were four players in the entire tournament who lost to somebody who was on performance enhancing drugs. It's not like other sports where you get bumped up and you get your medal delivered to you late and you miss your podium, but everybody gets bumped up the order. And, you know, it doesn't happen like that. The tournament's done. There's nothing they can do. They can't replay it. They can't redo it. You just have to suck it up and move on. And it's a really rubbish part of it, to be honest. But I at least feel like that, I, I've all, my understanding has always been that, that if you are caught doping at a tournament, you have to pay back the money that you've earned in prize money for that tournament and for as long as they know that you've been doping. So it's normally just that tournament and any um, subsequent events. You pay back that money. Well, my opinion is that money should be split between the people that were beaten just for sure you should be awarded the next rounds of prize money okay you can't be awarded the points but it sucks for those people but definitely it is different as I say I would have been quite outraged if it was a performance enhancing drug rather than cocaine with Hingis I think it's interesting when just before we started this podcast and we always chat sometimes for longer than the podcast (laughs) before we start recording (laughs) um I wasn't I wasn't sure I wasn't sure if we'd fill the podcast talking about drugs. And we have. We have. We have. This is officially. <laughs> I assured you this was an episode. <laughs> this, uh, we, this is officially the tennis doping episode of the podcast. This is this is this is complete. But it, look, it, it's interesting. Um, it is fast. There's there are so many stories and example and bits and pieces. But just to, <laughs> to hear your <laughs> stories are absolutely brilliant. Um, and it's uh, look, if, if people do have questions or comments about it, then don't forget the <laughs> currently as we record this, the tennis podcast Twitter account is suspended because we're underage, <laughs> not because of doping, <laughs> but not because of doping. Our, our samples were clean. Uh, we have a professional peer in Naomi, <laughs> so there was no problem there. But we're currently suspended. But do, just do let us know in our um, respective accounts. It does mean scheduling. Um, because you're in the middle of your mini moon that's not a mini moon and I'm on holiday. Do you remember a few podcasts ago I mentioned that one of the twins had been out and they'd played mini golf? Ah, the prodigy. And and one of the twins had got two holes in one, holes in one, holes in one. And there was a mother there, I wasn't there, who said, oh, wow, he needs to start taking golf lessons. He's a prodigy. And I thought, let's all calm down. He's four. Um, Well, today we played mini golf. (laughs) um well no he definitely needs lessons um it's not because i believe him to be a prodigy he hit people he hit trees we went in the water quite a lot he held the club the wrong way round at one point um so i'm thinking i like it he's doing it his way he's creating a new way to play golf that's how good he is he did spend the first few telling me that it had a hole in one um, I'm now not sure, not sure I believe it. So yeah, a prodigy we definitely don't have on our hands. Um, lessons he would be needing in the future. Yeah, I don't think I have a golf prodigy in the family at the age of four. So just a little information there. So we, um, so scheduling. Uh, oh, uh, last thing, are we working together on the US Open series at any point? Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. So we're yeah we're in separate parts of Canada. Therefore, next week. Yeah, I'm on Toronto doing the women's. You Montreal. are Montreal, but we'll be on the same time zone. Oh yeah. So we'll get the and 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 it should be. I do want to talk about scheduling, but it'd be quite fun because you're going to be keeping a close eye on WTA side of things. I'll be on the ATP side, so we will um, we will be able to fill each other in on what's going on. 
Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Love it. Right, before your husband asks for a divorce because you've disappeared <laughs> disappeared to record a podcast, um, enjoy the rest of your mini-moon um, and I'll see what I can do about our Twitter account. Okay, good luck. Well, we are underage, so it's good to do. 